Hello and welcome to the What's That Smell podcast, where each episode we bring forth a new smell and talk about what it is, where it came from, and what we serve it with. Elaine, what's that smell I'm smelling? That smell today is board games. What kind of board games? What kind of board games? We've got The Crew, Uh we've got Isle of Cats... And we've got On Mars. That's three exciting board games. Shall you tell us just a little bit more about it before we do the deep dive into this board game smell? I'm not sure I want to deep dive into a smell, honestly. Well, you know, there's that nice smell when you open the box and, no. and the cardboard, it's fresh. You know, people and... used to say that about books. People used to come in the library and be like, oh, I love the smell of books. And I was like, no, they smell like bad things well it's mold isn't it people get addicted to the smell of mold in no, books that's not that can't be a thing that's mold. a thing yeah 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 so there's this 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 mold that for, forms on old books and people say oh i love the old book smell and that's just because their their brains oh, like are addicted cheese. to mold yeah like when you say oh, i like the smell of good cheese mm. that's the mold right that's, that's the mold yeah anyway we have the crew which is like a small uh trick-taking card game which that is cooperative has, yes and that has taken the world by storm and by we, storm we have got the scoop, the very belated scoop, because a lot of people have got the German version and they were like, this game's amazing. And we were sat here patiently waiting for the uh, English language release. Mm. Uh, but we've also got the Isle of Cats, which disclaimer, 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 is designed by Frank West, who just happens to be a dear friend of ours. So it's not really a review, we're just going to talk about the game and it's made by a friend and... We want to we wanna say what we liked or didn't like about the game, but you shouldn't take our opinion at any kind of face value because he's our friend. And finally, Elaine... We have On Mars. And that is a big, big space game from big, big game designer Vito Lacerda, who likes his games chunky, big. complicated, big, heavy... Complicated. Did I, I say it's complicated? You did, and you said it's big and chunky. Okay, good. I think I I've covered it all. I don't know why um, we're including the Isle of Cats in this, because that's not about space. No, it's not. But there... On Mars is space, because Mars is in mm-hmm, space. Mm-hmm. So do our, our podcasts are now topical, that's it. I've just decided it is, yeah. Okay, well, then, then we'll always have the one game that oh. breaks the mould, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. See what I did there? I brought it back to mould. <laughs> Elaine, let's talk about The Crew, which its full title is... The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine. That's Pluto. No, it's not. Okay. Pluto's not a planet. Okay. Well, well, anyway, it's, we're going to a planet in space. <laughs> it's just set dressing for what is effectively... A trick-taking game. Yes. Would you like to explain what a trick-taking game is? I say sheepishly, and now Elaine's pulling a face because she oh. knows how notoriously hard they are to explain. Yeah, trick-taking games... Wait, I'm going to give you a drum roll. Okay. A trick-taking game is always a card game where you have a deck of cards that are dished out between the players um, and then it's kind of a game of trumps which is like where you have to play a higher card. Mm-hmm. You have to try and play a higher card than the other pers- person or people that you're playing with. I think you're and doing you very will- well. Thank you. <laughs> and then you will win that trick. So you will take all the cards uh-huh. in that particular trick. Elaine, um, is that good or bad? It depends on on the game that you're playing. So uh, some games will say to you, uh, you want to take the most amount of tricks possible. Mm -hmm. Some games will say to you, if you win 
two tricks, brilliant. If you win three tricks, that's really bad. Like yeah. you lose. If you win five, though, that's good again. Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. like so, it just really depends on what game you're playing. Now, Elaine, how do I win a trick? By playing a higher card or uh-huh. a trump card. Sorry, let me explain yeah. what a trump card is. Mm-hmm. So, generally, in a trick-taking game, you have a sort of base suit. Mm-hmm. So, whether so, if you're playing just with a fifty-two card deck yeah. uh that you know that's one of the suits so um spades or clubs or whatever so mm-hmm. it, if if someone plays clubs if the first player plays a clubs then everyone else must play clubs of a they must try and play a higher number mm-hmm. because then they will win that trick but in quite a lot of trick taking games there is also a trump card so that might be an ace for example yes. um so you could play an ace of diamonds and mm. that would still trump the rest of whatever is played even if everything else is clubs that's if aces are low <laughs> I don't, sure <laughs> okay sure i but, am now confusing but, you yeah a little bit so okay. but you're doing it's, really it's, well it's arbitrary it's a mm. little bit arbitrary it's whatever the game tells you that trump card is it could be the queen yeah, yeah it yeah, doesn't yeah. have to be an ace yeah. it's, it's whatever that game tells you it is so and you play within those rules right uh-huh. so uh, this particular game, the crew, it doesn't have a 52 card deck, but it has four suits as well. Uh, but they're just colours, like yes. there's like teal, pink, orange, and something else that is escaping me right now. And none of those are ever Trump suits, but cleverly, because right. they number from one to nine, right. there's a fifth suit, which is rockets. But there's only four of, four yeah, of those. Yeah, four of those, um, yeah. And they number one to four. four, yeah. And they always trump whatever anyone plays elaine i'm gonna deviate Mm. a little bit Mm. i'm gonna blow your mind so i think uh so this is a bit naff but like my first love with games is is a trick-taking game it's durak which is play it was played all over soviet union Union, eastern europe you know and i think is probably still played to this day Mm. and i think the reason it was so pervasive and just everybody knew the rules to durak which directly translates to uh, fool, fool is is a good equivalent, Idiot. but yeah, somewhere in between there because you are being more derogatory when you uh-huh. say durak, right? You uh-huh. can you, you can use it affectionately but you can also use it to insult someone because if you lose, right, mm. you're the yeah yeah you're the idiot, the, the yeah, idiot. yeah yeah effectively. Uh, so yeah, so that was my first love, and the reason I think it's so pervasive is because it's not only easy to explain and easy to teach, but it's also very immediately clear why that game is clever. And whilst I'm not going to say that it has the largest amount of depth in the world or whatever, but you can definitely become better at it. Yeah. And as you know, you play more, you recognize patterns. I remember when I was teaching you Drak, I would never lose. It, and there's mm. definitely luck in the game. Mm. It depends on what you draw and stuff like that. But the cool and clever thing about trick-taking, and I'm deviating for a purpose, right, uh-huh. is that it's not just what the mechanisms are. The intricacies of the game are much the same as they are in poker, mm. where you're trying to remember what are what's in people's hands or trying to intuit what's in people's hands. You're trying to remember what's been played and what tricks have gone away. And you're also trying to anticipate what your opponents are going to play and make your decisions based on that. So you've kind of hit the point that I didn't make, which is why people like to play trick-taking games. I just Mm -hmm. kind of explained mechanisms, but you've explained why they're neat. 
Mm, mm. So my uh, so Durak was definitely the the one that everyone played. Mm. But there's you n- said it's like a pub game. Yeah, right? yeah, it's sort not, of. Yeah, like kids poker. played it at school and stuff like that. But where it starts to get a little bit like poker was uh-huh. another game called Thousand, right? Uh-huh. And the trick in Thousand, see why I did that, mm. is that you before each round, mm-hmm. right? You have to bet how many tricks you will take, uh-huh. right? And the betting can be done with money. Uh-huh. Uh, and so you and you would bet or with conquers or whatever. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> or with points, yeah, right? Okay. Uh, but sometimes you could play as like you know points of money, uh-huh. right? And then suddenly the stakes are getting quite mm-hmm. high. And the funny thing is because there's a limited amount of tricks you can take each round, right? If someone bets, if the total sum of bets is an impossible number, right? Some you know someone's going to lose because it is entirely possible. If let's say there are eleven tricks, right? Mm-hmm. I bid. I'm going to take seven tricks, you bid to take four tricks, mm-hmm. right? Then we're all kind of, we've bid that we're going to split this pot evenly mm. and we're both playing towards the points. Mm. Of course, you don't want me to win my seven because that's more points right. than your four, yeah, yeah. right? So there, there are a lot of cool, clever things you can do with trick taking and making one cooperative is certainly deviating from the norm. Yeah, and giving it this cool kind of space theme. You can also play it as a campaign. So you yes. don't have to. So in the crew, there um, are kind of, I think it's 52 different levels of this trick taking, like variations on a theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can work it through like a campaign. There's space to record if you've succeeded or failed or, or whatever, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm. So you can just dive in, you can play trick you know 25 for example um and i really like that about it and it's all like you said it's all completely cooperative yeah so let's explain a little bit more about how the crew works the idea is that you will always have some sort of an objective Mm -hmm. and at the start of the missions uh because once again there's 50 you'll have something simple like uh, you'll draw a card from a smaller deck of cards, a separate deck of cards, and deal it out to a person. And that person will flip that card and it'll say, Green 8. And that means now that that person has to, during the course of this game, take the trick that has the Green 8 card. And now, if someone else takes it, then you lose. You automatically mission. lose. You don't You don't have to play out all the tricks because we are each we each divvy up the deck between yeah. us, right? And we each have a hand of cards as it equal as possible. It doesn't matter who wins the other tricks. Like, yeah. As long as you win that one. The problem, of course, is that in the crew, you if somebody plays uh, a green card, right, you will always have to follow suit. So when we start the game, we don't know what the combinations of our cards are. I know that my opponents don't have the cards I have because <laughs> I have them, right? Right. But but then, you know, and the more players you play with, the more nebulous it gets. Yeah. It's sort of a gray area. So, for example, we know, Elaine, that you need to end the game with the green eight, yeah. right? Now, who has the green eight? I you don't do. have it. Oh. oh. Right? So maybe you have it. Maybe another player has it. I don't it. have it. You, okay. So, but <laughs> I don't know that you, you know, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh, okay. Uh-huh. So this is this is where it's getting tricky. But then the question is also who has the green nine? Because the green nine... Aside oh, from rockets. I have that one. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. So as long as someone can play a green eight, then that's fine because you can take it with a green nine. But mm-hmm. here's the problem. Let's say that someone starts the trick with a green one, right? Mm-hmm. 
and your only card is a green nine, and the green eight has not hit the table. Mm-hmm. You are then forced to follow suit and mm-hmm. play that green nine. And it's my only green card. Yeah. But I need to win the trick with the green eight. Oh, uh, no. How are we going to do that? Well, there's uh, you can confer a little bit of information. You mm. generally can't talk mm-hmm. in the game. You can't say, oh, I've got these cards. You can't infer which cards you've got. But every player gets like a little radio token. And uh, one time per round, you can per trick. No, not per trick, per like. Entire round, Entire yeah. round, yeah. Entire game, effectively. Entire game, effectively. Yeah. Um, permission, that's that's the word I was looking for. Mm. Uh, you can uh, play a card, so everyone can... See, you can put a card down. It's still in your hand. It's still mm. uh, actively in your hand. But you can put it down on the table so everyone can see it. And you can put the radio token either at the top, which shows, okay, this is the highest card uh, of this colour, that I've got Mm -hmm. you can put it at the bottom which says this is the lowest card of this colour that I've got Mm -hmm. or you can put it in the middle to say this is the only card of this colour that I have and you can only reveal that card if it meets one of those three criteria. and so from there we can start learning information about Mm. other players hands but of course the question is when's the right time to play it? Yeah, yeah, right? Because it's not just one person. Okay, so there's, I think on the first mission, only one person gets that stipulation of they must win that trick, that Mm -hmm. this particular green eight or whatever. (sighs) However, as the missions get harder, like two people must win certain tricks. So Mm -hmm. when do you reveal that information? Because... Mm -hmm. You know, which person are you going to help out? Right, right? exactly, because it's cooperative. You want to help everyone, but Mm. when is the right time to to do it? I think the way we sort of part the curtain and shed a little bit of light onto Mm. this game, and in terms of how it feels, is I think a very similar point of comparison is the mind. The mind, where again you have a deck of ninety nine cards, and people just without talking have to play cards in a sequential order. And the whole trick is that, like, we intuit, <laughs> just, we intuit the sequence. By staring at, yeah, each, by other's staring brains. at each other. And I think that's a good point of comparison because it sort of tries to achieve similar things, but it tries to achieve them in a different way, where mm. the mind is fast paced and, ha, huh, we're going to play cards. And, oh, is it the right card? Oh, no, it's not the right card, right? There's immediate emotion, there's theatrics, there's a lot of that. The crew goes a different way because. It's effectively a logic puzzle. It's multiplayer Sudoku, you know. I'm trying to work out, well, if I have that, and Mm. uh, my friend has just shown me that they have that. Why did they show that to me? They want me to know that information. Okay, I need to think (laughs) about that. Then I'm going to spend five minutes staring at my hand of cards. Why have they played that card? Yeah, yeah. What are they trying to say with that, right? Or sometimes it's immediately obvious, right? Oh, okay, that's why you play that card. But actually... The person who played that card had something entirely uh-huh. different in their head. <laughs> or just fluffed. Yeah, or just fluffed, right? <laughs> I you, thought it was a good idea and it really wasn't. Yeah, and so there is there is a sort of a element of conjoining your minds right. and, and trying to mould together. But we should mention, though, that um, you do play in turn. So it's yes. it's not like the mind in that you can play multiple cards in a sequence. You just play one card each. Yes, like a regular trick-taking game. Yeah. And then the person who wins the trick leads the next trick yeah. and continues going onward. But I think what I'm trying to say is that unlike the mind, um, I think it's unfair comparing it to the mind because uh, people are going to get a very different feel from this game, even though its objectives are similar. Because... Often what happens when you land the right trick or something like, oh, okay, that that worked out towards our favor. Instead of like 
the entire table rejoicing and going, hooray! You're kind of going, okay, well, so that happened. And then what does that mean for the rest of my hand? And how, <laughs> like, you kind of go into this tank, I guess, and, and, and barricade yourself in a, in a thought bubble and... Mm-hmm. And just, a thought bubble in a tank. Yeah, a, th- a thought bubble in a tank, effectively, is what this game is. That sounds like is. a bottom burp. Uh, a bubble in a tank. <laughs> and back to smells. <laughs> um, I have to say, I really appreciate a lot of what the crew is doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that it is doing that much that feels like it is an actual innovation on trick-taking. Yes, it's different because it is cooperative. Mm-hmm. But I think what it's doing is because we have to win together right? It's making trick-taking more accessible to the general audience, right? Because if you haven't played a lot of trick-taking games, Mm. then you're not really, you're not necessarily gonna, like, when you dive in, you're not gonna understand the intricacies of what, how important it is to remember what tricks have been played, how important Mm. it is to track your opponent's hands, Mm. how important it is to bluff Mm. that you're going to be playing something else, right? And a lot of those, a lot of those skills, if you haven't, you know, built up that muscle memory right mm. uh, or actual memory brain or, memory. yeah brain memory right <laughs> yeah a lot of those skills might be opaque if you if yeah. you're playing a trick-taking game for the first time whereas what the mind uh, sorry the mind ah oh, that's a freudian slip what the crew does is is it forces you to think about it because the onus is no longer just on you mm. to win the game yeah the onus is to win together right so you're sitting down you're like, okay no wait 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 let's think about this let's think about what we're doing and i think that's cool right yeah you're thinking about three hands of cards instead of one yeah M- more i think mm. but i i, I didn't i guess maybe i'm spoiled maybe mm. i'm spoiled because i played too many trick-taking mm. games but I didn't find the sort of depth and enjoyment from the crew that I really wanted. However, saying that, there are like 50 missions and they do differentiate from one another. I agree with you. Like, there are 50 missions, Mm. but some of them do feel a little bit samey. Oh, absolutely. So I feel like they could maybe have reduced it to like 25 or something because... There are some really cool different missions where, Mm -hmm. you know, you can, the person who wins the trick can only win it with pink or something. Or there was a a one where um, one person was sick and they could never win a trick. And that kind of thing changes up the game quite a lot. It becomes an entirely different Different puzzle. puzzle. It feels like you are truly playing a different mission. I really enjoyed the one where we couldn't win a trick with nines. And then suddenly the game became about figuring... Who has the nines? Uh-huh. How, how many do we get of rid gods, of them? And how do we get rid of them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that was interesting and neat. And I felt like, okay, this feels like a different mission. And then the mission after that was, you have to not win a trick with nines, but also someone gets an objective, you have to yeah. win a trick with this card. And then that felt like it was the same thing, but with an added touch of yeah, difficulty. Yeah, it felt a little bit arbitrarily difficult. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so here's my pitch, right? I get what you're saying, mm. and I agree with you completely, mm. that the 50 missions feels a little bit like like the Tamagotchi thing, where, you know, like you have a Tamagotchi <laughs> dog, and then Tamagotchi turtle, and uh-huh. then Tam- they're all the same. Uh-huh. Um, but what I think they should have done, they should have still had the 50 missions. I think they should have just framed them differently. They should have said, here's 15 missions. Right. And then here's how you increase the difficulty. difficulty. Yeah, I, yeah, that makes sense. And I think that would have made for 
a much more interesting like okay like we figured out this puzzle we might want to play it harder later mm -hmm. but actually i want to try a different puzzle mm -hmm. now and instead of following this sequential thing where okay so sure mission 16 is slightly more difficult than mission 15 but it feels largely the same whereas what i want to do really is i want to play a different puzzle yeah play a different puzzle and explore all those different puzzles and then maybe go back and play it on a harder difficulty exactly right so i don't think i don't think that's necessarily uh, a real issue with the game it's no. just an issue with framing right no because again you can chop and change you don't have to play it in sequence mm, so mm. you can skip out those missions if you want to no i i, I agree with you I, I think if you've enjoyed the crew mm -hmm. and have played it and if you haven't played it actually i think the crew is a perfect gateway game towards trick-taking games mm. but if you have played it and you were like well this felt a little like what more is there and you know what kind of other similar experiences can we explore i would definitely recommend uh, the Fox in the Forest. I think yeah. it's an excellent two-player trick-taking game that has variable player powers based on what cards you've drawn. And that really takes it for a spin. Uh -huh. And uh, I recommend checking out, honestly, Durak, because all you have to do is have a 52-card deck and you can go to town. It's excellent as a two-player game. It gets a little bit wonkier with more players. Did um, Shut Up and Sit Down do it as part of their... Um, card games that don't suck. I'm not sure that they did, they're not. actually. Thought, yeah. Mm, okay. Uh, shut up and sit down. Quinn's Matt, if you are listening and you're still doing <laughs> card games that don't suck, please cover Drak. It's an excellent trick taking game. Shall we move on to the, the Isle, Isle of, of Cats? Cats, cats. Which takes Where? place in the world of um, Frank's brain. Frank. <laughs> Frank's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I think this is going to... So once again, I we said this at the start of the podcast, but if people are... Because sometimes people, you know, skip to a specific game where they want to hear it. I'm just going to reiterate once again mm -hmm. that, A, this is not a review because nothing in this podcast <laughs> is a review, nor should be treated as such. But also, this is, uh, this is a game... Retweets are not endorsements. That... That has been designed by our friend, yeah. Frank West, and therefore everything we say about the game should have been taken with a grain of salt. And also, we have some insight into how Frank's brain works, <laughs> and <laughs> we might have different opinions about the game just based on that anyway, uh -huh. right? Saying that, we never covered his other games, uh, The City of Kings, no. or... Um, What's the other one? The little one. Vadoran Gar Gardens. Yeah. So the fact that we chose to talk about Isle of Cats, mm. I think, should tell you that there's things we want to say about Isle of Cats. So for anybody that doesn't know, um, when Frank made the City of Kings... Kings, which is his first I game. I nearly said City of Games. That's yeah. what it was. Uh, when he made the City of Kings, he made this entire world where everything had come from, how everything had developed backgrounds of characters blah 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 mm -hmm. when he did Vidoran Gardens he wanted a game that was completely different from the City of Kings his he said to us that um every game that he makes he wants to be different mm -hmm. he doesn't want it to feel like City of Kings again yes or Vidoran Gardens again mm -hmm. and so and he has completely succeeded with this with the Isle of Cats but it still takes place in that fictional world yeah um so everything all the characters like the 
the names of the cats and things are all from this world. Mm-hmm. The, the baddies and whatever. Mm. So you are trying to take uh, rescue cats from an island uh, where they've all lived happily, I think. Yeah, for, it was the Isle of Cats, time. Elaine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there really is an Isle of Cats. Is there? Somewhere. Somewhere. I think it might be... Like, I want to say Japan or something. Oh, yeah, because it's... Oh, no, maybe it's dogs. Oh, I was thinking of that film that we watched. But no, I'm pretty sure there is a a cat island where it's just, like, full of cats. Diverging from that brief moment of insight into (laughs) Elaine's brain. That's Yeah, that's a picture into my brain. I confuse films with the real world. Let's talk about Frank's Um, brain. Let's talk about Frank's brain. Uh, So it's a polyomino game uh, Uh where you're trying to rescue cats off an island onto Mm. your ship. But the Mm. only way that you can get them to follow you onto your ship um, is by tempting them with fish. So you start with a number of fish. And also traps. And traps. Oh, yeah, baskets. You have to put them in a little basket. You start with a number of fish and you start with a permanent basket and you can get more baskets throughout the game um, by you you get cards each round um, and you get more fish each round and you try and get as many cats from that island as possible onto your boat and that is what can hopefully win you the game. But those cats, what are they, Elaine? What are they? Yeah, what are the cats? Water. No, the, the oh. po- polyominoes. I already said that. Did you? I said it's okay. a polyomino game. Uh-huh. All right. Well, I, I that shows you how much I've been listening. <laughs> well, it is a polyomino game, but you never. I don't think you ever said that the cats oh, are polyominoes, oh, okay. right? Oh, right? Okay. So, okay. yeah, it's the cats. The, and um, the boat and is where you place them, right? Yeah, and also treasure. Yeah. So, the treasure is sort of filler bits, but um, also treasure can score you some points. Well, that's the funny thing, because, like, the two important things that you need to fit into your boat mm-hmm. are cats and treasure and they are equally vying for your attention and Mm. space saying that in frank's brain these two things are pretty much might as well be the same you know cats and treasure the two important frank constants elaine you were there Uh when the genesis for isle of cats was born because you you saw the spark in frank's brain that made it happen do you want to tell us about it are you talking about bunny kingdom i am talking about bunny kingdom yeah a little bit yeah so this is the first time we 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 hung out with frank and we met frank because we met him at gen con Con, 2017 we stayed both in um a certain type of hotel i i think you mean to say nightmare hotel (laughs) yeah it was it was like a hotel from um a film where um, the Shining, been, like, for example. <laughs> the Shining, like from the horror film, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, where at the beginning, when it had been built, it was probably a really amazing hotel. Mm. But over time, I think they had changed the entrance to the airport because it was right near the airport. Um, they changed the entrance to the airport. And, and it, it became really, really far from the airport yeah, entrance. It was, yeah, it was like three miles or something mm-hmm, from the airport mm-hmm. entrance. Um, and it had clearly gradually over time made less and less money and had less and less investment it's shut down now you know that shut down now um i'm not surprised Mm. nothing worked the lights didn't work Uh nothing everything was gloomy and dark everything was super gloomy the walls were red our door didn't lock oh yeah none of the door locks worked (laughs) like if you wanted to get into your room you had to go downstairs to the concierge Uh and ask them to go upstairs with you so they would unlock the door for you and yeah it was and everything was threadbare and it was just kind of it was you expected to be kind of murdered at any point in your bed, honestly. It was like a horror film. Yeah. Um, so that we had so that we, bonding experience. Yeah, that, that was our bonding experience. Um, 
I'd, I'd, where was I going with this? Bunny, Bunny Kingdom. Kingdom. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, that makes complete sense. But one of the games that we were both interested in at Gen Con mm-hmm. was Bunny Kingdom. So mm-hmm. we um, queued up together, like we ran to the <laughs> to the stand yeah. when it opened, whatever. And we both got the game. Um, and uh, I didn't manage to play it at Gen Con for whatever reason, mm-hmm. but... But you and Frank did, didn't you? No, I didn't play it. You either. didn't play it. No, either, but okay, but, then well, he did. But yeah, um, but his brain lit up when he played and, it, and yeah. his brain it, completely lit up when he played it. Yeah, like, he just he fell in love with the concept in it. I think, and they are very similar. So what they share is that they are both drafting games with mm-hmm. a lot of cards, and those cards will either give you the pieces that you will put on mm-hmm. your board, uh, and then form some sort of a puzzle shape that will score off of each other and. Uh, or you will draft uh, rules, not so much rules exceptions, but sometimes rules exceptions and sometimes extra scoring conditions that make very little sense at the start of the game. But then as it continues, so for example, it says, have at least five orange cats. And you're like, okay, well, maybe I will, maybe I won't. But if you're like a third through the game, you're suddenly like starting to get a picture of like, oh, okay, maybe I'm going in this direction and Mm. those cards keep appearing and you're like, oh, suddenly I have eight different scoring conditions that I need to shape this puzzle into. So it shares that. But I think what I really like about Isle of Cats is that unlike Bunny Kingdom, and I'm specifically uh, comparing it to Bunny Kingdom because they are very similar games, but unlike Bunny Kingdom, uh, what you had in Bunny Kingdom, you had a basically a ten by ten grid, sure. and each of those, uh, each of the spaces on the ten by ten grid would be somewhere where you could place a bunny if you drafted a card for that space. Mm. So, for example, if you drafted E seven, it would go specifically. You could put a bunny into E seven, and now that's becoming part of your territory. And if you can grow that territory, uh, that parcel of land, you will score more points, and so on and on and on. But the problem with Bunny Kingdom is that when you're drafting cards, you're looking at cards that say. D5, G7, E10. It's not very 10. interesting. You know, yeah. it's it's not just not interesting. It's sort of meaningless in a way, right? You are... you. It doesn't really give you a clear indication of, like, okay, I'm going to take this. What does this mean to me now? Sometimes it's very obvious. Oh, it's right next to the spot that I want to go to. So that makes mm. some kind of sense mm. to you. But sometimes it's... And frequently, it was completely nebulous. And sure, a cohesive picture formed towards the end. But I felt like... That, whilst it made sense as a sort of a puzzle-building game, yeah. it didn't make sense as a drafting game. Right, because right. And as I you... think a lot of people had that same issue, didn't they? Yeah, I guess so. I I, I haven't read up much about Bunny okay. Kingdom since I played it, but that was my takeaway and my impression from it, right? Whereas now, if I'm drafting a piece, a polyomino piece, right... Uh, all the pieces are available in a sort of a pool to purchase from, right? But I'm not drafting a specific piece. I'm just drafting baskets, for yeah. example. So if I know if I'll collect baskets, I will have a chance to nab that piece. Yeah. Will I have a chance? That deter- depends on my speed as well. Because the higher your speed is, the faster you're going to go in turn order. So when you're drafting the cards, mm. um, they've each got... So there, I think there are three different types of cards or four different types of cards. Or maybe five and, different and types of cards. one of them, which yeah. is the one with the baskets, yeah. also uh, the type of card yeah. also has uh, the speed on it. So it has a pair of boots on it and it mm. will say like one or two. Um, and the one who has the most boots will mm. go first in turn order. Yeah. It, I hope that made sense. Mm. Um, you, 
what I really like about it is that after you've drafted the cards, so you don't draft the the polyominoes. Yeah. Really. You, you, yeah. The polyominoes are laid out on the table, um, and you sort of take them. You draft the allowance of how many polyominoes you can buy, but right. yeah, you're not drafting right. them specifically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, but you do draft the cards yes. because you're passing them back and forth between mm-hmm. the players. Um, and after you've done that draft, you have an option not to buy them. And I, I like that a lot. So even if you've taken a card that you think, oh, actually, this isn't that great for me any longer. Yeah, you still have to pay fish for that card. You, right? Yeah, you have the option of not paying the fish and not taking that card. And just getting rid of it. And it, it, it's a wild cycle because there's hun- literally hundreds of cards. Oh, they're, yeah. They're the all, stack is thick. Yeah, some are similar in terms of baskets of baskets. There's not much innovation you can do on baskets and you need a certain number of baskets for the game to make sense, uh-huh. right? But... A lot of them feel quite different in terms of what they can do and the costs. Sure. And what I, I, I what I found really engaging is is that yeah, like the plan, much like in Bunny Kingdom, builds as you're continuously going mm. along mm. and becomes more and more cohesive. And because it's a spatial puzzle, I immediately enjoy that <laughs> personally, right? Yeah. And 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 I like how many different ways you can go. You can try. Uh, make one big clump or you can try and spread out very fast because you can only put polyaminos adjacent to each other mm-hmm. so that's another puzzle unless like, you have the special card that lets you put a cat ignore anywhere. that rule yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. and cool, suddenly right? you have two clumps that you can spread from yeah. uh, and of course um, you have to fill as much of your ship as possible because the ship is divided into rooms each... yeah that is punishing yeah. if you don't fill a particular room of yeah. your ship that's minus five points and there's I don't know how many rooms there are but we both ended up with like minus 20 points at the end of there's more I, I pl- the last game of Isle of Cats I played I actually didn't complete a single room <laughs> and I still won that game yeah so that's cool right yeah. you can still win mm-hmm. there's, there's not that obligation to, to do everything in the game. You can choose, like, okay, I'm going to stick to this. Yeah, because of the special scoring condition cards. Exactly. So you could draft something like exactly. that says, oh, you'll get a lot of points if every space that's surrounding the edge of your board is filled up with yeah. cats, right? And suddenly you have or you'll competing score, objectives. Or score double for your family. Yeah. So the um, colour of cats, when mm. there's lots of them together, you'll score for those twice. Yeah. So I, I, I enjoyed all of Cats. There's an immediate sense of tension that uh-huh. keeps progressing through the game. There's one thing that I found to be not so much to my liking, uh-huh. and that once again goes back to drafting, right? Mm. Uh, and I think I understand why Frank did that. Uh, and so, what bothers me is that you draft two cards at a time. And again, this is not a review. Drafting can be quite cumbersome. Like, yeah. oh, have I passed you this card yet? How many cards? Did, did especially it, if there's three yeah. or four players? Yeah. yeah, did it all go somewhere wrong or askew? You know, what's the game state right now? So drafting is a bit wishy-washy as as a kind of a game thing. But if you make people draft two cards at the same time, it goes by faster. Uh, it's bam, bam, bam. But the thing that I personally enjoy most out of drafting is figuring out what it is I've taken, mm-hmm. what it is I've passed, and what's likely to go come back to me, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're playing with any more than two players in Isle of Cats because the hand is composed of seven cards and you take two cards, the only card you're going to get back from your initial seven cards is one card. Anticipating what it is is pointless because it's going to be the worst card, <laughs> right? So with two players, I really enjoy Isle of Cats because yeah. I can sort of like... In- 
try and intuit, oh, what's going to come back to me? Oh, it's not there anymore. Ah, you know. So there's that nice agonizing moment of like, what do I let go? What am I going to get mm. back? And with with three or more players, it's immediately, well, whatever. It doesn't matter. I like, just take what I want. And, at all, really. Mm. Because maybe because I, I don't have that background in kind of magic and things like that. Yeah. Like, the first pick is the mo- is always the most important, right? Mm-hmm. So you take what's best for you or what's worse for everyone else if yeah, you yeah, take yeah, it, right? Yeah. And and then you, you're expecting to get like the dregs more and more and more as it goes along. So that really doesn't bother me because I always base my uh, strategy, I guess, for that round mm-hmm. on what I've taken first mm-hmm. and then hope that something else might come out. But if it doesn't, never mind. Yeah, I guess it's a it's a it's a more of a holistic approach to drafting, right? Mm. You know, I'll just I'll just take it as it comes along yeah. and, and make do what's there. I understand that. I and I think that's probably an overall better choice for the game. Mm. It's just not the choice that I would prefer. But no, sure. I guess this isn't a review, so... No. What's really cool, though, is there's uh, going to be more expansions for it, so there's going to be even more cards. There's already yeah. 5,000 cards, but there's going to be more. Yeah, which which from. we would cover on this podcast, but Frank didn't send us any of the expansions, <laughs> so... We've you, no idea what's on them. We we Yeah, we can't comment can on them at all. they're cool. Biased or not, <laughs> we have no idea. How did that come about? But you know that they're going to be more ways of changing the game. Mm-hmm. Like there's going to be more of those cards that let you break rules and yeah, yeah. I really like uh, the Isle of Cats. What the reason I started with the theme of it was because it is so heavily uh, thematic. Oh my god, the like, artwork! The artwork I can't believe we haven't talked about the cats on on are, on the tiles. <laughs> they right? are something else. Mm. That's why I said they're like water. You said yeah. what are cats, and I said water because. Um, they fit every shape of polyomino somehow. Somehow, yeah. And every cat illustration is slightly different, uh-huh. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I, every tile has different artwork. And it, it, even though it might be like a different kind of cat in the same position, mm. but it's still technically a different cat. Yeah. And I was surprised at how many tiles there are in, in that box. And and they're all a different cat. And the tiles themselves. So you, the each polyomino is um, a cat on like a, a, a ship deck. plank. Yeah, yeah like planks. Yeah. Um, but each planks are coloured the same colour as the cat. Very faintly, but they yeah. are, which makes it... There's a glow to it. Yeah, there's a glow. It, it doesn't sound like that's a big thing, but when they're all mm. on your board, mm. it's so much easier to see... The, uh, where one stops and another one starts. Mm. I, I really like that. Well, the, it also, uh, I think that having different colors of cats being completely different artistically, it helps with color blindness and uh, because you don't have to go, oh, it's just orange, you know, it's no, it's that type of cat. Yeah. And I can identify it by that. Yeah, the cats right? have different markings. Yeah, exactly. Um, like there's one that looks a bit lizardy, the green one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. really neat. And they've all got backstories. Like on the side of the I, box. I'll be honest with you, I didn't read that. On the side of the box, there's the little backstories for each of the cats. And what's in the box lid, Efka? Well, it's it's <laughs> it's a big dartboard that says place your cat here. Well, it, like, a okay. Dartboard. Well, it, it's, it's uh-huh. a target thing, right? Like you place the cat <laughs> In the lid of the box, but it looks it looks like a dartboard. You uh-huh. could you could hang the board if you wanted to on your wall. I mean, you could, yeah. But then you couldn't put your cat. I'm, in I'm it. starting to sound like like a sleazy car salesman and just like finding <laughs> finding qualities about it, like oh, this game is so cool. A friend made it. Wink, wink. You know. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, well, yeah. we'll kick the tires and see if it really runs. It's a car, right? <laughs> right. In this car analogy. Okay, let's move on to the big, 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 big board game. Vito Lacerda's On Mars. Do you want to tell us about On Mars, Efka? Yes. So, Matt Damon. We all know about Matt Damon. He's been in space many times. We rescued him. There's a lot of money we had to pay for it, etc., etc. There have been a lot of memes about Matt Damon. Matt Damon. That meme as well. Uh-huh. Um, so Matt Damon did this film called The Martian, based on a book called The Martian. And and it was cool and all right. You know, I enjoyed it. Uh, and it was, you know, of the moment. But board games decided that they were going to live in that moment forever and keep making games about Mars as if Mars is still really cool. Mars, Mars is, cool. is cool. Mars what are you is cool. About? No, I know, I know. I just don't think. I, I don't understand why why this theme keeps perpetuating itself. Like pe- board gamers are singularly fascinated with Mars, terraforming Mars, first Martians on Mars, some other games about because Mars, Mars Golf. Mars Golf. That's, that's it, is, it is. That's that's <laughs> really? that's a game. It's a dexterity Wait, game. Surely, if you if you swung a golf club on. Mars, the ball would go pretty far, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, I think that's the idea, right? Because gravity's l- less than yes, on Earth. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, good, yeah. good. I'm glad yeah. I got that, that okay. the right way around. I think there's this fascination on... There's always been a fascination with Mars. I think it's just coming into board games. But, I mean, look at how many uh, B-movie sci-fi films there are. John Carter of Mars. On Mars, right? Yeah. Um, because Mars is so close to us and in theory could have life on it, mm-hmm. but we don't think it does, mm. right? And we've been to Mars, right? Oh, I say we. Robots have Robots been to Mars. Robots have been to Mars. I've never been to Mars. Well, you don't know that, I mean, I've Elaine. been in the game. Humans might um, have been on Mars well, at some point. Maybe, maybe Mars was our original planet. Okay. And then, and then we had to abandon it because it was going kaput. I think and, you're just being foolish and, now. And, and then we flew to Earth, but we've lost, we've lost all our technology and our knowledge and had to restart... Uh-huh. Because Earth wasn't so as I, habitable. Uh, saying that, I yeah. did read a thing once that said um, that the life on Earth was from Mars mm. because um, and there was there was microbes on Mars. Yes, an asteroid crashed crashed into Mars, mm. and a piece of asteroid or whatever flew off, or a piece of Martian Earth flew off into space and hit the Earth, and then life. Um, and something happened to it on Mars, and it died, or well, whatever. That, see, this this is where the theory comes full circle because maybe this is why we are so fascinated with going to Mars yeah, possi- because we because want, we're Martians. We want to go home. <laughs> well, this right. is possibly true. Anyway, so this is what on Mars is about: about going home and building a home at home. Uh, so on Mars is a really rather complicated Vita Lacerda game, and what that means is that Vita Lacerda games. <laughs> already very complicated <laughs> and when we say that one of his games is more complicated than all his other games that means that that game 
is probably just about one of the most complicated games you could find. You can find more complicated ones if you tried really hard, but this is this is definitely up there. So On Mars is a game where you're effective. It's it's sort of like worker placement game. You yeah. have you have workers. They will build your Martian base. Mm-hmm. And the key conundrum of the game, I think the key selling point, is that there are two different areas. There's, there's two the, different sides of the board. Yeah, yeah, there's the orbit area and then the Mars area. And if you are in the orbit area, then you can only do actions that are associated with the orbit mm-hmm. area. And if you are on Mars, then you can do only actions that are associated with Mars. Like building. Yeah, like building buildings on Mars, for mm. example. Or driving your rover or your robots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the rover, for some reason, looks like the speed bike from Tron, but, <laughs> you know, let's let's not get into that. Um, so, the conundrum is that there's a shuttle that passes every certain number of rounds. How many rounds? That depends on the game state, because, again, the game is complicated. We're not going to go <laughs> too deep into the mechanisms. But the shuttle passes from time to time, from Mars to orbit, from orbit to Mars. And if your turn ends and the shuttle is... You are where the shuttle is, and you want to go to the side where the shuttle is going. Then you, you can, can hitch a lift. Yeah, yeah, you can just hitch a lift. You'll get some bonuses and stuff. Uh, it's all good. But if you are on the side and the shuttle isn't there, you're suddenly trapped you're stuck. doing yeah. actions that you don't want to do. And that's cool, but... So you have to plan out when you want to be on Mars and when you want to be in orbit. There is arguably a lot more to do on the planet's surface than there is in space. So... You want to spend more time on Mars, but also there are things that you need to do in space in order for you to be able to do things on Mars. Yeah, I found that dichotomy initially maybe... I don't want to say disappointing because I'm painting the wrong picture Mm -hmm. here. Because ultimately, I guess I should just say we're quite fond of on Mars, I think. You know, would you agree with that? Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. Uh, but <laughs> well, I wasn't sure because I don't think we've really discussed Again, this. This is not a review. There is there is a moment where I thought this is quite disappointing because most of the time I'm not engaging with this puzzle, like in terms of oh, which side should I be on now? You mm. know, should I move? Should I not move? It was mostly how do I just stay on Mars for as long as possible. And then if I have to go to orbit to do some actions, I'll just nip in very quickly and then do the thing. But actually, I want to stay for a bit more, but I don't want to stay too long. And The game does mitigate that a little bit, because if you are in orbit and you're desperate to return to Mars, mm. you can uh, an sacrifice a certain amount of points um, in order to do that effectively. Yeah, and there's also an action where you can just go to back to Mars. Oh, but yeah. Then you're not, oh yeah, that's true. But you're yeah. not doing anything else. Uh, no, so you're kind of wasting that time. time. Yeah. But I think that doesn't really paint a very good picture of what On Mars is. Because that's that's the sort of central dichotomy of it and the sort of pitch. Mm. You know, we're all competing against each other. We're playing for points. We're building bases. And we're trying to decide whether we're on Mars or in orbit, right? But what I quite enjoyed about On Mars and what is the... I think the kernel that makes it slightly different from all Vita Lacerda games. Because if you say to someone who's familiar with who Vita Lacerda is, right. uh, you know, this is the most complicated game he's ever made, mm-hmm. then it's like almost all you need to really say about it because of his reputation and yeah, of the games that they, he makes. They will know that games like Lisboa are 
already mind-blowing. Yeah, and they'll know immediately that, oh, this is so not for me, or, oh yeah, you know, bring it on, right? I want this complexity. Mm. I want to dive into this. I think what sets it apart is the very strange um, cohabitation of Mars, you know? So you have you have these buildings. There are five different types of buildings. You can build uh, something that produces plants or like, you know, greenhouses or whatever. You can build oxygen farms. You can build water farms. Mm. Uh, and you can build what else? Energy plants. Energy plants. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and you can build plant plants and ore mines, right? And so this, mines. this, this is the fifth building. But effectively, four of those buildings. So all the other ones we mentioned, apart from the ore mines, mm. advance the colony level, right? Mm. And if you're building the building that uh, the colony needs. So you always want to have, for the colony to advance, you need to have equilibrium. So if you have, if we have two water buildings on the entire board and two uh, oxygen buildings and two battery buildings, but only one plant building, mm. if we build that one remaining plant building that advances the colony level, mm. then we'll get bonuses mm. and we'll score off of different things, mm. right? But, so let's say I'll score for the number of... Um, I don't know, robots I have, sure. right? That means I immediately want to build more robots. Mm. So I don't want to build that plant building initially. Mm. I want to build robots. But if I spend time building robots... Someone else might take that bonus. Yes, exactly. Mm. And then suddenly it doesn't matter anymore. Mm. So on Mars, unlike any other Vita Lacerda game I've played before, maybe Kanban to a certain extent, is an incredible race mm. towards just getting in there and getting that bonus at the right time and competing against other players on a shared communal board, mm. but also, you know, managing your greed, managing, <laughs> like, you know... And strangely, the game's victory points are called opportunity points. It's just one of those thematic changes that matters very little because they're victory points. But you know what? The game feels so opportunistic mm. because the setting is... Well, why are we competing? Because we're competing for prestige. We're competing to be, yeah. you know, renowned for having built Mars. Yeah. And doing the right thing at the right time very much resonates with that theme. Yeah, that very much that. Um, and there is, there is a bit of meanness with it as well. There is Absolutely. that opportunity to take things from other people that don't necessarily benefit you just so it doesn't benefit them. Like, for example, uh, there is a bonus that comes out for building a certain amount of a certain type of building. Mm -hmm. Even if you've not really got any of those buildings, if you know their near completion of that, you might take that anyway. Oh, yeah. Because it's like 12 points, which is quite a lot of points. Um, the jumps are so big. Yeah, they really you're are. You're always compelled to go for it. Yeah, it's there's nothing small. There's no like small amount of points. Like yeah. everything is nine points or twelve points or, and and you are kind of pushed into that almost greed, like like you're saying. Yeah. Um, and I I think what I really like about this game is that. Um, you do have to kind of try and work with everyone else to not get in each other's way. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it is very competitive and it is a race to to build the the um, first oxygen or whatever. So you get those extra points. Yeah, I, I found it strange. We played uh, Mars on Mars a couple of times now and the tenor of the game changed based on what people we were playing with. Because when it was just you and me, 
right? That uh-huh. was quite laid back. We took some time initially. We yeah. built up a little bit of our, you know, like we, we kind of formed a cohesive strategy. I say cohesive. Mm. This game is so complicated. Nothing in it feels cohesive. No. Um, we built, we built, we, we had an idea of the strategy that we wanted to build up. So I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I have a lot of robots in this game because, because they are good. And then we took some time to do that. But then once we noticed that we were competing with each other, the speed ratcheted up right. very quick, right. right? Because we noticed that, oh, you're going to take that thing before I managed to get it. And then mm. it was a race to, to, yeah achieve that first whereas when we were playing this with more people and with mm. friends the speed was there from the beginning yeah, yeah, like for sure it was just like go go but go because if, you're gonna miss out on everything i wonder if that was because we had already played it once mm. right mm. and we knew that it would reach that level so we kind of got into it to begin with yeah in no the first place i i mean i think the the first time we were playing it we were playing it as a free player game but I think once we understood more of the sort of strategies and mm. how we can score points, we sort of, and because it was just the two of us, we, we took some time to build up, you right? You were definitely um, poking sticks in things and, and yeah. seeing what happens uh, when you play it first. There is, um, helpfully, if it is like um, your first time playing or if you haven't played it very much, uh, you can optionally take... Um, some cards that will kind of give you an idea of what to do first because mm-hmm. they will say you get a bonus if you if you complete this certain thing and it kind of um, guides you as to what to do. Saying that, mm. the game is mind-bogglingly confusing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. And to the point <laughs> yes. where it has sometimes infuriated me. Uh-huh. Uh, so, for example, one of the points of confusion is that, uh, okay, what do I need to build oxygen buildings i need to have battery i no. i think battery produces water there's a sequence water produces plants plants produce air oh yeah and so on and on and on okay people produce mines people produce (laughs) yeah mines and yeah air produces people people produce mines yeah Yeah, there you Uh go right Uh and and so, like, that's already a point of confusion because I need a different resource to build this building, so I need to keep track of that. Okay, so that's one sort of step of differentiation, mm-hmm. right? But then there's also scientists where if I get the card that's associated with this type of resource, I'll then get to build an advanced building on the type of building, and then that that scientist will score off of cards, but not associated to the cards that the scientist is associated with, but to a different entirely... So just to give an example, just to give an example of that, just to make it, try and make it a little bit clearer, I think. So um, I don't know if this is a particular card, but for example, so you might take a scientist um, that um, is the air scientist, Mm -hmm. the the, the air scientist, Mm -hmm. Um, that will help you do some sort of action in the game, right? Uh, you get this little meeple yeah. and he will help you or she will help you do some sort of action it's in It's called the game. an executive action, which and is like it, yeah, a bonus action, action that you can take on top of your regular action. What the scientist will also give you, though, um, at the bottom mm-hmm. is a bonus for uh, the amount of plant buildings that have... Uh, been built on the resource correlation might not be correct we're we're, yeah, we're I, describing it, yeah, this from I, memory i can't remember yeah. what the resource correlation is um but just to try and make your your thing a little bit clearer mm-hmm. um so that scientist will also give you 
points at the end of the game for the amount of buildings built on a different type of resource. It will not be air. And I think that's the point you were trying to make because you're looking at this air scientist going, oh, cool, look at all these air Mm. buildings with, Mm. um, you know, advanced buildings on. And then you're like, oh, that doesn't That's score not me right any one. points, right? No. And and on its own, that wouldn't be so terribly hard to remember. Mm. But this differentiation between what I need to pay, what it gives me, and what it scores for yeah. is persistent throughout the game and all of its mechanisms. And it becomes confusing very, very quickly. I think I understand the thematic reasoning behind it. Uh, Vito Lacerda... Uh, is definitely a designer that likes to approach theme and then, like, how can I derive these mechanisms from this theme? Very simulationist approach. Mm. You might love it or hate it. That's up to you. But I think there is a point where simulation just overtakes a little bit too much. And and for me, it's not Lishboa bad, where mm. the simulation was so overbearing that I'm like, I just can't engage with this game anymore. <laughs> uh, but it is it is definitely rearing its head. Uh, and I think I was quite frustrated with the fact that there's rovers and robots. And I'm not sure, because, again, we should mention that On Mars is a very big, very expensive game yeah. with a lot of very fancy wooden pieces yeah. that are screen printed with, you know, a little bit of... Oh, they look cool. Yeah, they look they really look cool. cool. But you have these robots and you have this Mars rover and they're different pieces. And I'm wondering if it's just to justify the different pieces. Because both the robots and the rovers... What they do is they travel around the map, but they do different things. But they're activated with the same action. And well, no, not necessarily. Well, yeah, there's the, bonuses that, yeah. The rover is arguably better because it can yeah. pick up bonuses around the board for you, yes. whereas the robot will crush those bonuses. And, but it will let you build buildings, but right? But will let you build but So so there are different actions that you can unlock, I guess, yeah. that will let you move the rover or will let you move the robot yeah no i understand that but my point is i understand the differentiation between them it's just that that added layer of complexity doesn't do anything for me because all those cards could have been just assigned oh hey robots are very good and maybe maybe there's something to do with game balancing and you know wanting to separate Uh making robots not too good or whatever but i i think i think this is one disparate element too far but i guess I feel like Vito Lacerda gets a lot of this this type of criticism, but it's for me, it's really coming from a good place because overall, I think On Mars does something very clever in terms of uh, pushing you towards this sort of a common objective that you're all trying to seek out individually. And yeah. it, it ramps up and ratchets the race. It. Yeah. And, and I think the game, the simulationism makes sense, yeah. right? But there, there was just a little touch, just a little smidge. I think could have been streamlined and 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 cobbled yeah, I, together. I understand what you're saying. Like, where do you stop the realism? Yeah. Of okay, you're you're really on Mars. You really have to build yeah. uh, this, you know, air building or whatever. You really have a robot and a rover. They do different things. Like, where do you stop this story and go? Okay, it's a game. Let's yeah. let's make it a playable game. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Uh, that doesn't break people's brains no. entirely in half. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I enjoyed the game. The first time we played it, and arguably mm. the second time we played it, I was like, I don't think this game is for me. There's too many moving parts. I cannot get my head around all of them in one go. Mm. Um, I definitely think now we've played it again. Mm. 
I feel a bit more comfortable with each bit because I feel like, okay, I do remember what everything does mm-hmm. and I can actually start playing the game and like building a strategy and building an engine and, and things like that. I'm not sure if I would like personally be able to play it enough to get to that point where I'm completely comfortable and I'm actually just playing the game and not trying to remember what each thing does each time. Well, here's the thing. I think if if I said to you right now, you know, we finished this podcast, uh-huh. hey, Elaine, let's play on Mars, you'd be like, yeah, yeah let's sure. do it, right? <laughs> because yeah. it's still fresh in your memory, right? You, you, you understand the intricacies, you remember the intricacies, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, if I engage with this element and with that element, I'll be able to score points that way. And you, you kind of, you feel comfortable carving a path through this puzzle, yeah. right? If we haven't played it for six months and I said right. to you, Elaine, do you want to play on Mars? You'd be like... I would like to play on Mars, but give me a day to relearn the rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think that if you really like on Mars, mm. or if you really want to get heavily into one game... Oh, this is, on the, Mars this is one, one, of, one of the better ones. If you want sure, a game yeah. that you can play over and over again and it's going to be different every time. Yeah, and you're playing with different people um, or even with the same group. And you mm. just want to try it again and again and and push all those different buttons, then I think this is this is a a good game to go for. Just a point to touch on that if this you is are, not a review. <laughs> if, if if you are playing it with different people, be aware that teaching on Mars takes about one hour uh-huh. and the playtime is about two uh-huh. hours. Uh-huh. So it's not a gateway. No, it's it's not a gateway, and there's a significant amount of invest, investment into actually getting new people involved mm. in this game. I think that's the point we were trying to make. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think we got that across pretty well. Uh, Mars is complicated. Who knew? Going mm. to Mars is complicated. Mm-hmm. Terraforming Mars is complicated. <laughs> but not Terraforming no, Mars, the card the, game. No. That's that's not complicated. <laughs> On Mars's help. Please send help. Do we have any questions this week, Efka? Oh my God, that's a good question. This week's question comes from Jake. Jake asks, I was listening to your most recent podcast and it crystallized a question I've had for a while. When are board games going too far to try to be like video games? Both Tainted Grail and Cloud Spire seem like they oh. want to be video games. And of course, games like Gloomhaven have been doing this for a while. What is gained and what is lost by this approach? What concepts are maybe better left for digital games where the system can do the accounting and GMing work. Love the podcast. Best, Jake. Well, here's the funny thing, right? I've kind of been thinking about this, actually. And one of the things I've noticed... Mm. Well, recently, uh, there's been a early access version of Gloomhaven Digital on PC. And uh, Isaac kindly sent us over a code to try it out. And um, I didn't love it. And I really love Gloomhaven. And and actually, like, arguably the the most interesting part of Gloomhaven is is the combat mechanisms, right? That's mm. what really people latch onto and go, oh, this is great. I love this mechanism. I guess maybe because you're playing solo and controlling multiple characters, because there's no multiplayer currently in the digital version. Um, but there was something that just felt really off and really dry and really... Not like I was playing Gloomhaven at all, even though it was the same starting characters, they had mm. the same abilities, same mechanisms, cards. I haven't played it. Um, mm. So what was it about the digital version that wasn't like 
the board game? Well, so one of the things that you don't get yet, they're making a campaign version of it, is, well, first of all, you're playing on your own, you're controlling multiple characters, right? So you already have to think about uh, too many things at the same time. And also... Uh, there's there's no campaign mode, so you you're not like the missions aren't leading you into this sort of branching narrative where in Gloomhaven you start off always with the bandits and then you kill the I shouldn't probably spoil, uh, but like there's two <laughs> missions and you you kind of you go in a very direct path and then suddenly you have two branching points mm. and each of those two branching points have two branching points mm. and you you feel like you're forging your own path but also you're forging that path together with other people and mm. I, and I think um, one of the one of the things we've touched on uh, very recently if you haven't watched this video. Uh, we've just published a video called Food Chain Magnate, Is It Monopoly? With Which is obviously a very provocative title. But the whole point of that video was to talk about board games as board games. Mm. And what can board games do? That other art forms don't. Yeah, exactly. And the conclusion I reached in that video was that what board games can do is they can make you have a feeling and an action in a moment. Right? Mm. As in... The example in the video I give, I yell at Steve for taking my space. And that's mm. that's something, I, like, I get up, I, I move my hand, mm. I exclaim. Mm. And, and that's, Steve sees that. Yeah, and Steve right? sees that. Steve right? is part of that interaction. Yeah. And, and certainly multiplayer video games emulate that to an extent, mm. right? But it, it's, it's not that they just have the ability to do that. But they also have a way to program your brain into certain patterns, Mm. right? So when you play Gloomhaven and you have like four cards, let's say to choose from each from two sides, what the game is doing you is forcing you to choose, right? And that's just a simple way of programming your brain to act in a particular way. If you're playing something like Blood on the Clock Tower, right? You're, you're, You're programmed into deducing, you're programmed into lying, you're programmed into hatching schemes. And these are all things you will not do normally, mm. right? The game is making you emote in a different way. It's putting you in a character, Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think some people can take that too far. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, I completely agree with you. I think board games are a shared experience, are designed to be um, an interactive experience with with other people even, even if you're playing like a euro and you're basically playing on your own you're yeah. still speaking to people you're still uh, engaging with them mm-hmm. um and i think the more um i look at films and video games the more i kind of make this parallel between them mm-hmm. um and it's a very very surface level comparison it's like yeah. it's not a deep deep think or anything yeah but that um like the other day, we were watching a film and I said to you, who's that? And you said, oh, just some NPC. Right. And <laughs> and that kind of solidified that in my head, like why I was making this comparison, because there's always those characters in films or in uh, video games that don't really, you know, matter that much. They don't have that much presence. Mm-hmm. Um, And when you're playing a 
board game, mm-hmm. everyone matters that is sitting around that table. Yes. And I think that is the big difference for me yeah. between video games and and board games. I think that there are a lot of variables in board games. And, and we tend to, when we look at the table, we tend to consider all of them, right? And, and I think a good translation is one that makes you consider the variables. Um, but it's, it's very difficult. I, I'm glad that you brought films and video games together as a comparison because notoriously there aren't any good film adaptations of video games. You mean like Max Payne uh, film? Uh, yeah, or the Hitman film, uh-huh. or the Assassin's Creed film, uh-huh. or Sonic the Hedgehog, uh-huh. right? I don't know, I've not seen that. It's not good, apparently. Oh, so, no. What yeah. about, uh, 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 yeah. Mario... I, I, Bob Hoskins. Yeah, I mean, you're I mean, just proving my point there, aren't you? <laughs> that was amazing. Anyway, back to your point. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I I think the reason like people go, well, why don't they work? Well, because they're different mediums. You're trying yeah. to translate what worked in one into the other. And actually, uh, this is this is a game we played very recently. And again, I thought, you know, this would have probably been a decent game if it wasn't a translation of of a video game into a board game which was uh city skylines right yeah. where where i think it was trying to bring the uh, schematic framework mm-hmm. of of the computer game into the board game system mm-hmm. which is fine but what's hard to achieve is that city skylines is monumental in scope Right. In in its aesthetic, in the fact that this is a three-dimensional city that comes alive, there's people walking, you know, mm. there's sounds, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you've built that, you've created that. Mm. There's, there's Whereas nothing... you don't get any of that in, yeah. in the board game. Yeah, there's nothing in the board game to create that experience unless you force some sort of hokey method of, of you know, putting on a soundtrack and, you know, like, <laughs> like pressing a button to make a sound effect of the people walking by on the sidewalk. That's nonsensical board I mean, games is that is that a thing like i know that there are playlists on spotify and things of this is dungeon music yeah but or, they're terrible well yeah exactly they never work exactly. because because the reason they don't work is okay so you want you want to um you want to impose this sort of soundtrack but the, the thing about soundtracks is that the reason they work in films and TV shows... Is because they line up with the scenes. Yeah, like there was an editor, a sound Uh, editor, whose entire job was just like, how can I make this music Uh make sense uh with the cuts, with the character motivations, with with the dramatic build-up in a film? And I, I, I was always amazed by... Dungeon Masters who try to bring in a soundtrack in, into a role-playing game and it never working because it never quite matches the scene, right? And that's why things like... There's an app called Sirenscape which automatically changes and seamlessly transitions the music into, like, a different mood or a different, like, setting. And it still doesn't work because you're still not... As a DM, what you really don't want to be doing is you don't want to be the sound editor at the same time for the game because you're already front-loaded with having to build this world together with other people. And What we need is an AI that intelligently changes the music (laughs) as as we go along. Um, And that is why a game like... So this is slightly OT, right? Slightly off-topic. But there is a um, role-playing game called Ribbon Drive that really works because it is... Uh, reverse engineered I guess so you start with the soundtrack and Good. then you build up your story around what's happening in the soundtrack like the moods of the of the music 
Um, a uh, ribbon drive is brilliant because is brilliant. because not only does it subvert that, but it also thematically builds from that because yeah. you're on a road trip. That's the whole motif. Mm. And of course, road trips always have, you know, they're happening cars. There's always a radio that's playing some music or someone's mixtape or mm. whatever, right? Music mm. is a big part of that. And so that makes a cohesive whole. Mm. Uh, and that's one of the rare examples where I think music really, really works in a role-playing game. So while I made this comparison uh, between films and uh, video games, mm. as I said, it is a very kind of surface level comparison. And I think there is a huge disparity, like you were saying, mm. um, between what they are and what they try and be. And that's why uh, video games never translate well into film. But is it the same issue, like board games becoming uh, video games, so like Gloomhaven, for example, Mm. and a video game becoming a board game, like City Skylines? Do they suffer from the same issues? Or is it completely different? I think what a board game has to do is probably just a shallow surface adaptation of the theme if they want to be if if they want to be this video game the board mm-hmm. game right um and like for example mechs versus minions <laughs> yeah. uh, as a league of legends board game cool. <laughs> it worked perfectly because yeah. it it didn't try to be the moba game and i think that is the point like because yeah. if you have seen the film yeah. if you're interested in the board game version of the fil- film or mm-hmm. video game or whatever mm-hmm. if you are interested in a different medium type of a medium that you're interested in yeah um you have a big expectation yes and whatever you play or watch probably won't fulfill that expectation if it tries to 100 percent replicate and because it already worked for you in a different context exactly right that's exactly. what i think that's what cloud spire feels so off for a lot of people mm. because it's this whole like well how do we simulate the mobile genre where the minions move and you can't control them but you also have the heroes right and if you try to replicate every single aspect of mm. that it's just going to fall flat but maybe the board game should just be in that world instead like mechs versus minions Mm -hmm. oh great Um, so in our uh, Fujin Magnet video uh, Fujin Magnet isn't Monopoly you're really this aren't you I am it's a great (laughs) video if you haven't seen it it's not what you think you should go watch it right Um, but uh, we I I invoke Alan Moore right and actually so Alan Moore was always famously against adapting his work into film because it's a different medium right to the extent that he would not put his name on the Watchmen film yes and the Watchmen film was terrible even though visually it was almost a carbon copy of the novel graphic novel including you know um Dave Gibbons being a consultant right. on the but film. from the end scene, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, they, they, they changed the ending yeah. and they just sort of changed, changed the reasoning of why it was happening. But then we have the Watchmen TV show, which ignores everything that happens mm. in the novel and mm. takes, like, what's the core central motif, right? And how we, can we craft an entirely new story that's built to be a TV show and just play with that. And it works brilliantly. It was a very good TV show. Yeah. And and thankfully, there's only one season. So you watch it. It's a cohesive story. Done. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, I was very enamored with the Watchmen TV show and how that worked as an adaptation of Alan Moore's work. Mm. So that... I think, yeah, I think just to conclude that, mm-hmm. I think adaptations can work, mm-hmm. but only if they are adaptations and not... Trying not trying to carbon copy what's already in existence, unless 
what you're doing is a meta commentary on adaptations with a film called Adaptation starring Nicolas Cage. I don't want to play a board game with Nicolas Cage character in it. I think... It could be like a nightmare thing. No, not like a nightmare. What was that game called where you put the videotape in and... Atmosphere. Atmosphere, yeah. yeah. It could be like an atmosphere thing where you put tape in and Nicolas Cage appears on the telly and then you have to somehow play this roll and move or something. With that image, <laughs> why don't we say goodbye, Elaine? Goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Elaine.